did not prep for any of this. Hour number three. Welcome. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Yes, I literally spent four hours yesterday prepping for the show today, all with the audio of the U.S. Senate debate that was held. By the way, no mic drop moments. It's pretty boring, actually, which made it even worse to have to watch it like twice, three times, whatever. So I got all this audio, but somehow or another, we got talking about mayo and we got talking about dressing versus stuffing. And uh, and now look at two hours are gone. I apologize, John, John, who wrote in and wanted me to talk about something else besides this. And Andy, who says that I have taken the tomato is a fruit discussion to a whole new level. That's true. Right. What is it? Uh, sm- the difference between being smart and wise. Smart is recognizing that tomato is a fruit. Wise is recognizing you don't put it in a fruit salad. All right. This is the last call I'm taking on this. And then I am getting to some of this. I'm just going to have to space it over two days. So tomorrow I will get to some of the more of the audio from the big debate on Friday night. Uh, I will, I promise, I will get to that tomorrow night uh, or tomorrow on the program, but um, and I will get to some of it now. But Jim has been waiting, and uh, for purely selfish reasons, he says he has some mayo recipes. So now I'm interested. Yes, sir. If you ever run out of tartar sauce, just use mayonnaise and finely chopped dill pickles. Sure. Just mixed together. It's great for tartar sauce. Yeah. Well, that's how we used to make, uh, you would make homemade tartar sauce was mayo and relish. You would just mix them together. Uh, Russian dressing or Ukrainian dressing, whatever, is now, uh, it was just uh, ketchup and mayo. Yes, and I love it. Second one is fruit, here we go, fruit salad. (laughs) Take a uh, honey crisp apple, uh, red delicious, golden delicious, and maybe a gala smear, chop them up, slice up a banana, chop up some walnuts and Pecans, slice up some maraschino cherries, put them in a bag, a gallon Ziploc bag, throw in three or four tablespoons of mayonnaise and mix it up real good, and you have got one whale of a fruit salad. It is great. Interesting. There There really isn't anything that mayo cannot do. Mayo, mayo is great on mayo. May, yeah. Like mayo... Like if you are if you're hungry, and I know this is going to repulse people who hate mayo, and I get it. But if you're really hungry, and you all you have is a packet of a condiment, you want that condiment to be mayo because the mayo, as a dietary fat, is going to make you feel full. Unlike a packet of ketchup, that's just going to give you a sugar high, a little hit for like a minute, and then you're going to crash. And mustard. Uh, that's just going to spicy up your mouth, and then you're, you're you got no dietary fat in there. You're going to f- not be full. Mayo, mayo will keep you full. Yeah, one more quickie. Yeah. When I make slaw, I grind up the cabbage. I put in three large tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and then I'll put in three or four large heaping spoons of mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. It makes a great tangy slaw. Yeah, there you go. Wonderful. Yeah. Jim, thank you. I appreciate it. See, this is, all right, this is the versatility and superiority of mayonnaise. It's because it has, as its three and only ingredients, the building blocks of all, of all great food. As the egg yolk, it's got oil, it's got vinegar. And I know people may not like one or more of those components, whatever, like especially the vinegar. There are people who don't like vinegar, and I get that. I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm just saying it makes it superior. 
because it can go with anything because those three different components, you mix and match those things with anything. Oh, I have a, you know, something that needs a little tanginess. Bam, there's your vinegar. You need something that needs like rich and creamy. Bam, there's your egg. I need something a little bit more uh, uh, savory, right? Bam, there's your oil. I really need to get some endorsements for Mayo products. Like, I, what am I doing? This is all, why am I giving this away for free? Okay, let me uh, let me get to the Senate debate. I watched on Friday, so you didn't have to. It was not very uh, exciting, which um, I think uh, Brett Winnable and I talked about that on Friday. Uh, that like, or maybe last Friday. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We, but Brett and I were talking about this very thing on our Friday Hangover on his program about um, how. Uh, these are like, you know, normal candidates is sort of just a boring, normal race. It's not, you know, some guy who, uh, you know, can't string together a sentence in uh, Pennsylvania or a, a TV show host or a uh, or, or a former uh, running back. Right. You don't have all of this craziness that you have in these other races. We don't have that. OK. And that's true. Like, that debate, yeah, not a lot came out of it. I mean, not even a lot. I mean, it's not even a lot. It was just, meh. There was, um, here we go. I mean, I'll just jump right into this piece by uh, Andrew Dunn. He writes at Longleaf Politics. It's a Substack that he does. It's free, and uh, he used to be with uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, his campaign, and he's a former journalist as well, so he knows how to write. He writes compelling things, and um, he focuses on North Carolina politics, longleafpolitics.substack.com. And uh, here was his assessment, and I tend to agree with it. He says, debates are about moments. As Democratic strategist Morgan Jackson pointed out when he made the rounds on the state's political podcasts this week, last night's U.S. Senate debate between Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley really had just one. There was really only one. When asked whether she would stand on stage next to President Biden, were he to come campaign in North Carolina, Beasley awkwardly danced around the question. After stumbling, she said she'd have to see if she was available. <laughs> this was, uh, yeah, this was kind of awkward. I do have, here it is. What clip is this? Uh, do, 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 do. Clip number six. Uh, sorry, I have my own sheet here and I had buried them. Okay, so here you go. Uh, the, the question was for both Beasley with regards to Biden and uh, Bud with regards to Trump. Would you, you know, are you, she, uh, Tim Boyum from Spectrum News asked if Beasley's avoiding appearing with Biden. And he asked Bud whether, you know, being with Trump or endorsed by Trump, that that could harm him. So here's the first question went to Beasley. <laughs> You know, um, I'm very grateful and very honored to serve the folks here in North Carolina for uh, over 30 years as public defender and as judge and chief justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina. And I've spent my years in service upholding the rule of law and uh, respecting the Constitution. Okay. And this is foundational, not only as who we are as Americans, but what we expect in our judges, but also what we expect in our senators. My role has been that of a judge. What I know, though, is that I'm asking North Carolinians to to elect me as the next United States Senator here in North Carolina. 
And yes, uh, President Biden has been to North Carolina. These have all been official visits. Yeah. We're glad when the president comes here to yeah. visit. We want him to hear about the challenges here in North Carolina and about the successes and to meet wonderful people uh, who are here. Okay. Um, I, I, it's, it's wrong to align me with anybody unless I specifically say what my positions are. And I'm glad to talk about what? my positions because my positions really do support people here in North Carolina. And as I've spoken with folks all across this state, they want to know that the next senator is going to fight hard to lower costs, that she will keep us safe, and that she will stand for what's right and call out what's wrong and lead courageously. And that's exactly what I commit to doing. President Biden called tonight and said he wanted to come campaign free next week. Would you stand on stage with him? Congressman, I mean, uh, President Biden is certainly welcome to be here. He is our president and he <laughs> should know what's happening here in North Carolina. We want him to know and meet folks and hear from folks here uh, in the state. But would you want to be with him for that visit? You know, if it's an official visit, we'll just have to see if, <laughs> if that's something that's av if we're available. But I'm telling you that, you know, we want him here in the state listening to folks and hearing from the same folks I'm talking to about what we really need here in the state. Right. So we want him here in the state, just not anywhere near me. <laughs> that's what she said. That was the moment, according to Andrew Dunn. That was really the only moment where you have an incumbent president that the, the candidate, the Democrat candidate, doesn't want to appear next to. And she says, it's not fair to align me with anybody that I haven't aligned with. Like, you're in the same party. Also, top Senate Democratic candidates are doing a virtual event uh, tonight. Among those invited, well, basically everybody but Sherry Beasley. Catherine Cortez Masto, Maggie Hassan, Mark Kelly, Raphael Warnock, Mandela Barnes, John Fetterman. They're all going to appear tonight. Tickets ranging from sixty to $17,000 for Protect the Senate for this, uh, for this big event. And uh, Sherry Beasley, not one of the listed participants. Maybe, maybe she's busy. She had something else going on. She was, bu oh, she was busy ducking President Biden. That's what happened. Okay. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thank you, and you're welcome, to the caller uh, who told Bernie that they were appreciative of the, what do they call it, educational and entertaining show today about the superiority of mayonnaise uh, and uh, the difference between stuffing and dressing. So uh, you're welcome. I'm a giver. All righty. So back to the Senate debate from Friday night. And yes, to their credit, at least Spectrum News put it up on the website so we can uh, you can watch the whole debate. I mean, if you so choose, you can watch the debate uh, on the website. You just could not do that live on Friday night, which if I had known that, I would have made plans. Oh, who am I kidding? I would have watched it anyway. Um, all right, so immigration. Immigration. And uh, Sherry Beasley says that Washington has dropped the ball. Uh, Republicans and Democrats all agree that it needs fixing, but we have to secure, and she said, we have to secure the border, but we also have to reform the system. There are some folks, she said, uh, who should not be in this country. And she talked about farmer visas being needed and a uh, path to citizenship should be done. And uh, why hasn't anything been done? Because congressmen like Ted Budd haven't fixed it, she said. And the only way to truly reform immigration is to secure the border. 
Is it a crisis? It, it is imperative. I mean, it's unfair to all of us and it, and that, huh? that, the, that the border is not secure. And it's unfortunate that we see migrants and immigrants used as pawns and an issue where folks who've been elected need to sit down and come together and come to a solution. We have to secure the border. But, but speaking in the way of sending migrants here and there is not the way to solve this very critical issue that Congressman Budd has had every opportunity to address. All right. First off, that stammering and stuttering, that is, that's in like every one of her answers. I, I got to tell you, I kind of assumed that neither candidate was very good at debating and I was right. Uh, I mean, it, it, they're, they're not. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that as a knock on them. I, I mean, well, maybe to some degree it is a bit of a knock, but uh, not everybody can be, you know, graded at everything. It's not a requirement. It's helpful. You know, oratorical skills, rhetorical skills are, are it's beneficial to have those if you're trying to, you know, engage in oratory and rhetoric. But uh, it's not required to be a U.S. senator. And I think both of them are helped by the other candidate because neither one of them mopped the floor with the other because neither one of them had the kind of skill set to do so. That And what you just heard from Sherry Beasley with that stammering, she did that in every single answer. And I, I was, yeah, I was kind of surprised. Like, a sitting, they're not sitting anymore, but uh, a Supreme Court justice, you know, a judge for that long, I, I was kind of surprised that this was how she performed. Seriously, I, I was kind of surprised by her her lack of oratory skills. Um, she seemed nervous on every question. I understand when it starts, you're nervous. I get that too. No, I, me, personally, I, if I'm if I get up in front of like a studio, or not studio, if I'm in front of an audience, because, you know, I'm usually talking to a wall here. And so <laughs> when I get in front of actual people and I have to talk, I'll start getting nervous. I could feel it, like, physiologically. I'll start, uh, like, I'll get a little bit, although now that I dropped all the weight, I don't get the sweating as much. But I would get a little bit of sweating, uh, and I could feel, like, uh, flushness in my face, you know, get a little red. But then after a couple minutes, it would pass, and I'd be fine. So I get that at the beginning, but this was a studio debate. It was just the two candidates and Tim Boyum, the moderator, as far as I could tell. But notice also in that answer, there was this assumption, right, that Ted Budd's in Congress. And so he had the opportunity to address these problems and he didn't fix them. He didn't get it done. What's the what's the root of, of that argument? What's the assumption at the core of that argument? It's that Ted Budd could have fixed it if he had agreed with Democrats. And this was a theme that she kept coming back to. She talked about it with the prescription drug bill. She talked about it with the Women's Health Protection Act. She talked about it with um, the funding stimulus programs. All of these different Democrat bills, the funding of the police officers, the Democrats would run these bills and have been running bills knowing they can't pass, but using them as a weapon for the campaign season. And Dem uh, Republicans do this, too. I'm not saying that the Democrats are doing something that the GOP does not do themselves. Of course they do it. 
But there is a built-in assumption here in in this line of attack that Ted Budd could have done something by agreeing with me. He, he, he could have given police pay raises if he really liked law enforcement. Why didn't he vote for the pay raise? That was part of this bill that Democrats ran that had a poison pill, right? All right, let me go over here to Tom. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, hey Britt. How you doing, my man? I'm doing all right. All right, number one, I'll be to a point and I'll be succinct. What she's basically saying, stuttering or not, Ted Budd has been up there long enough to get something done. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's an a issue that deals with pe- people illegally. And she said that coming across the border, it was imperative that it be stopped. Stuttering mm-hmm. or not. So they agree. They agree that it, that uh, that they need to secure the border. Right. But she agreed. we agree that he's been up there long enough and she hadn't. And let's give her a chance. So do you think that somebody without any experience at the national stage is the best person suited to get something done in D.C.? If the people are uh, educated enough to vote for them? No, that's not, that's not what I asked. It's not whether or not somebody sends her there. I'm asking about her qualifications, because there is something to be said about learning how D.C. works, making uh, relationships, making friendships, and then being able to advance legislation through that uh, through that town. And, and what I am saying with regard to Shirley, Sher- Sherry Beasley or anybody else, if they're qualified to vote, they're qualified to go to Washington, D.C. There's no special magic pen with experience in Washington. You can look at Herschel Walker, who's mm-hmm. definitely not qualified right. to want to go to I'm sorry. No, I, I agree. Like, Herschel Walker is going to be a vote for Republican uh, agenda items. Just okay. like Sherry Beasley is going to be a vote for Democrat agenda items. As a, as a rookie senator, you, you don't have a lot of leash to run with, you know? Well, I think Shirley, uh, Sherry Beasley, from her answer, she was on point on many things. And I'm going to just close with this because I don't think I'm going to convince you that Sherry's the right one for the job. Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just honest. Like, I, I, her po- because I know what, I, I mean, I understand she's going to be a freshman senator. She's not going to have a lot of influence, and she's going to be a vote for the Democrat agenda items, which is why she's now changed her view on abolishing the filibuster, because that's what the Democrat well, Party wants. Yeah, that's the way Washington usually works. So I, I, I just think truth trumps uh, freshmen. Or I think truth trumps everything. That's just me. Mm-hmm. But let me let me say this, and I'll wrap it up. I like Sherry Beasley's point when she said, uh, Ted Bud uh, stiffed the farmers. In other words, they, t- he, uh, he t- they took 10 million or 50, but I'll say 10. And just left the farmers high and dry, and people don't, farmers don't like that. They're the backbone of America. So mm-hmm. I think Sherry Beasley did extremely well. I would give her an A plus on her debate, and uh, stammering or not for both of them, Bud Ted Bud, he shouldn't be stammering because he's been there six years. Sherry Beasley did an outstanding job. Thank you for letting me say that. I'm gonna continue listening to you. All right, Tom. Thanks for the call. I do appreciate it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, going over some of the highlights of the Senate debate. I think I'm going to uh, I'm gonna save the, the back and forth over the abortion topic. I'm going to save that for tomorrow because uh, I, I do want to kind of go deeper into that because there's just a lot of misrepresentations that were allowed to slide during the debate on that. Uh, and so I'm not going to touch that topic, but I've got some other ones like the strength in Social Security line that Beasley was – that she was pitching was was weird. 
It was just, it was weird. And the inflation line was weird. I'm going to try to get to those. First, uh, let me go over here and get Jack on the program. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the program. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I, I listen to your show when I can. I really enjoy it. Well, thank you. Um, I get very frustrated when I hear guys like that last caller. And I thought for a minute, well, you know, here's an intelligent caller. He's going to make an intelligent point <laughs> and about the debate. And, and, um, and I, I just get so mad because... The advertising about Ted Budd is so ridiculous, uh, particularly the one that says, uh, and, and this guy brought it up in his call, that you know, Ted Budd really stuck it to the farmers and kept millions for his family, and the mm-hmm. farmers got nothing like, like Ted Budd is in charge of the bankruptcy court. Um, you know, they had, they had no bearing at all on that decision. You go to the bankruptcy court, the judge tells you who gets what. You don't you don't get to pick. So the whole premise of the ad was false. Well, and based uh, off of reporting that they run with. Yeah. And based off of reporting, I think it was what the Washington Post, I want to say, because we look, I covered this with Pat McCrory during the um, during the Republican primary. And Pat McCrory was uh, was touting this story and and uh, came on. He talked with me about it and I tried to get Bud to come on and, and he wouldn't. But um the like the story exists. It's out there. Yes. And you are correct. But, um, you know, the other thing is Ted Budd won the primary among Republican voters, including a lot of farmers. I mean, he carried every single county. So yeah. I'm thinking if a lot of farmers were really hacked off at Ted Budd over all of that, then I'm thinking they probably would not have voted for him in the Republican primary. I agree. It's it's a non-issue with Republican voters, and it's being used to manipulate uh, low-information voters that that don't really listen to what's being said and use a little bit of common sense. Well, and there's not a lot. I mean, Ted Budd does not have a lengthy record, legislative record, and that's not necessarily his fault, right? Democrats have been in charge, and when the other party's in charge, you tend not to get stuff done right, as the minority party. Right. So. He doesn't have a lot of things to say, uh, I did this, I did that. And honestly, in today's day and age, legislative accomplishments are not really, uh, they're not really touted because a lot of it is just performative. You know, you get up there, you make some floor speeches, you send out the the YouTube video so it goes viral, and then you fundraise. And that's that's the life of a congressman. And it's not just here, it's all over. Right. I'm a voiceover artist by trade, and I do a lot of auditions for various political campaigns, but... Same things playing out across the country in scripts that I see where uh, the Democrats increasingly, they advertise on, you know, she stood up for a woman's right to choose and uh, she's, you know, not a bigot and she's for immigration. And and then, you know, they attack the Republican candidate much the same way that Ted Budd's being uh, right, you know, advertised against. You just have to see through the BS. Right. Well, look, and that's why I talked about like the the Republicans are hammering Democrats on crime as they should, and the economy as they should, and and that is a national strategy. And politics now has been uh, these races have become nationalized. These national issues and tying to the national candidates of you know Biden and Trump and Pelosi and like th- this is this is where we are now. Like I understand the whole it you know politics is local. But I don't think that's really the case anymore, especially in, uh, uh, at, the, at the federal level races. Now, when you see Jason Alexander from Seinfeld handing out uh, literature for, St- for uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, some, something's going crazy. <laughs> uh, hey, so you do, uh, Jack, you do voiceover work. Can you, 
Can you uh, do something like uh, in a world where? Do, do, I'm sorry, you broke up. Can you, you do? Can you do, can you read something like for me? Uh, in a world where Ted Bud's farm something or other. I don't know. Like, can you do something like that for me as a voiceover, or is that like not? You don't do the movie things. In the world where Ted Bud stole millions from farmers, only one woman can rescue America. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. That's great. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Have a good one. I remember watching a video of the guy who does the voice work. I was just fascinated by this guy. He just, they just, he gets it like he wakes up and he, he gets into a limo and they just bring him from one studio to another, to another. They hand him a script. He's like never seen it before. And he just gets up and he goes, in a world where... Ted Bud destroys family farms. Only one woman. And he just reads it once. And then he does like a lighthearted one in a world where da 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 da. And he just does these different tones. Bam, 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 bam. And then he gets back into the limo. They take him to another studio and he reads through another movie trailer. And he just does all of these voiceovers. That's it's the same guy. Same voice. And that man was Tom Hanks. No, I'm kidding. It's not Tom Hanks. He lacks the range. Don't email me. I'm not trying to have the Tom Hanks fight again in the same show as I had the mayo discussion and the dressing versus stuffing. Andrew Dunn at longleafpolitics.com. He said, Ted Budd succeeded in hammering home the line that Beasley would be a rubber stamp for Biden's policies. And that is true, by the way. That is, that is true. And I'm under no illusion about Ted Budd going along with what the Republican agenda is going to be. Both of them are getting a lot of support from these outside groups and these you know, national groups. And so if they win, they're going to be aligned with those groups, right? It's not beyond, you're a freshman, although Ted Budd being there for six years as a congressman, he's going to have a bit of a different perspective Good or bad, but he has a different perspective than Sherry Beasley does because he's got experience there. And so he kept hammering home that she's a rubber stamp for Biden. And she will be, by the way. She will be. She's distancing herself from Joe Biden, comically so. But at the same time, we all know that when a bill is going to get run through the U.S. Senate and Democrats are going to be whipped for their votes, she's going to fall in line with all of the rest of the her colleagues. She's not going to be a Joe Manchin type Democrat. What? What has she said on the campaign trail that leads you to believe she's going to act as Kristen Cinema or Joe Manchin? Nothing. Again, I'm not arguing that Ted Budd is the guy that's going to be different either. I'm just pointing out that she is what he says she will be. So, you know, Bo and Beth, they did the first Talktoberfest live stream Thursday. The second one, it'll be Vince Coakley and me. Yeah, uh, we'll be doing the live stream. The Talktoberfest 2022 is underway every Thursday at 8 o'clock this month, all month long. A couple of hosts hanging out with you on a live stream on the Facebook live feed presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park. You can get all the details at WBT.com. Uh, we'd love to see you. Come hang out with us. Sort of like an Ask Me Anything, you know? Um, I mean, I, I won't answer just anything, but you, I mean, you can ask. Um, 
<laughs> another audio clip. How to strengthen social security. This was another one of the moments where it's like, huh. I did not expect Sherry Beasley to perform this poorly. And it, and I guess I had a higher expectation for her because she's a lawyer and a judge. You know, I, I, I thought, and I had not seen her perform in any kind of debate ever before. I've seen her in some interviews and it's kind of like, eh. And I already knew, I already had sort of an opinion about Bud and his ability in an interview. I mean, we talked with him the uh, last week, right? And, you know, you heard some of what he was saying on my show. You heard him say the same thing during the debate. So I get it, right? I understand. Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't say these, I'm not saying these things as criticisms. I just, I, I thought, well, here, I'll just play the audio. We need to make sure that seniors work hard, they can get what they've paid into, and they can get what they deserve. And if we have the right kind of Senate, and I'm asking folks to sort of vote for me, young people can count on that as well. So how do we go about that then? Well, we Preserving may, Social Security. No, we, we do. We need to do that. But we certainly can't. How would we, how would we, Tim, say to folks, you know, you've paid into this. You deserve to retire into dignity. We can do this. We can absolutely do it and make sure that folks have what they deserve. Secure Social Security in a way to make sure that folks who pay in can get what they need and what they deserve. Right. But how? How? That was the question. How do you strengthen Social Security? How do you preserve it? How do you protect it? We have unfunded liabilities. The promises made are unaffordable. Now, Ted Budd's response to this, I thought was uh, a, I thought was a pretty good one in that, um, you know, he said, look, the worst thing that you could do to destabilize Social Security is have the runaway inflation that we're seeing. I thought he missed an opportunity that another member of Congress running for uh, or, or a candidate, I should say, running for Congress uh, said when asked the same question about, you know, is Ted or is uh, is Joe Biden the president? Is he, you know, was he legitimately elected and whatever? Like they're trying to get them on the big lie thing. And one of these other candidates, I think he's running in Virginia or Ohio. And his response was, have you looked at the economy? Yeah, of course, Joe Biden's president. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> right. So like, that's the uh, I mean, that's the way you slay the question. But the uh, I, I thought he made a good point tying it back to the, the, the preservation of Social Security ties back to inflation. Because as things become more expensive, Social Security payments are not keeping up with that. And having people employed, having people working, collecting more of the tax money for Social Security via this big Ponzi scheme, right? Like this is that that's how you have to sustain that system. Now, I would love the idea. And this is, you know, the quote, third rail of politics, which is what Sherry Beasley tried to like shove Bud into, like push him onto that third rail was privatizing Social Security, which that topic has been used to demagogue Republicans my entire adult life. They, 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 Democrats have been screaming about how Republicans want to take away your Social Security and Medicare ever since I've been following politics. This has been the scare. To, I remember there was an ad. Uh, there was an ad that was... We aired it here on this station years ago, and... There was they pulled one of the clips out of the ad. One of those little sound bites was the uh, this old lady calling into like a uh, you know like a phone menu whatever and like for scaring seniors press one and so she says scaring seniors please and they 
it was Keith Larson took the audio clip and <laughs> just hammer that audio clip and play it over and over again. It became like a soundbite bit because that's exactly what Democrats were doing. They were they were fear mongering, demagoguing over this idea that I remember the Paul Ryan or the, the it wasn't Paul Ryan, but uh, Democrats put an ad out that showed a guy that was supposed to be Paul Ryan. You never saw his face. It was always just like his back. And he's just walking grandma in a uh, and he's pushing her in a wheelchair and then rolls her up and tosses her over a cliff. They literally depicted Paul Ryan as a murderer in their ads. This is and so like this is why when I hear people complaining about, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the norms and civility and blah, yeah, pound sand, guys. Uh, you've been accusing Republicans of wanting to murder people and putting it into your campaign literature and advertisements uh, for 20 years. You don't get to cry about civility any longer. Um, But this third rail of politics, this idea of privatization, this isn't privatizing all of it. And this is what Bud made a point of also. Anybody who's on Social Security or is about to get on Social Security, no changes would impact you. But for people who are younger, people who are in their 30s, if you want to be able to take just a teensy-weensy part of your overall contribution and invest it someplace else to actually make more money than all the rest of your Social Security investment will return for you, you should have that ability. You should be able to make that choice. That's the point. And that, for some reason, means you want to kill old people, such as the state of our politics. All right, Brett Winterbills coming up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>